for seeing if it gets hot, but uh, thank you guys for giving our kids a good day of fun. Uh, thank you for loving them the way you do and uh, just uh, showing them that love of Christ. Welcome this morning and so glad you're here. See, uh, we need to be in prayer for our church family. We have so many that uh, are still uh, on guard for the virus and uh, we want to pray for their peace and their safety as well as all of ours that are here as well. So just want to say welcome to you this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to First Peter chapter 3. We want to continue at our look through the third chapter of 1 Peter. You know, we talked earlier about the last few weeks about the blessing of family. How that Peter reminds us that husband and wife family are critical to our relationship with the Lord, to the existence of our society, uh, and what those roles were. He gave a little information about that. Uh, then he talked about the blessing of fellowship, how that believers are strengthened in fellowship with each other. But this morning, I want you to see with me uh, the blessing of following the Lord Jesus Christ, how important it is and how rewarding it is to be called a child of God and to have the opportunity to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that is as well. You know, Peter begins to remind us of this blessing of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the benefits that I begin to think about it of following the Lord Jesus Christ is that as we continue following the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ begins to change our lives. That He begins to make us different. That He gives us new desires and ambitions, goals, priorities, all those kind of things. And when I look at Scripture, I think about some of those accounts in the Bible where Jesus met certain people and they began to change. One of my favorite accounts in Scripture is when Jesus was about to uh, go up to Jerusalem and he was passing through Jericho. And as he passed through Jericho, he met a guy and his name was Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was uh, a short man of stature, Scripture tells us, and that he wanted to get a good look at Jesus and be able to see him. So he climbed up a tree and he waited until Jesus came under that tree. And then he was surprised that Christ noticed who he was and noticed his presence. And Jesus called him. He said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. We're going to go have supper together at your house. And so they went to Zacchaeus' house and they fellowshiped together. And, you know, we're not given the full account of that fellowship that Jesus had with Zacchaeus, but we're given enough to know that because of that meeting with Jesus Christ, Zacchaeus was forever changed. You see, at the end of that supper, Zacchaeus says, You know what, Lord? I love you so much, and I'm such a changed man that I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give them back four times what <coughs> I defrauded them or stole from them. Zacchaeus was a changed man. <coughs> I remember a, a lady that followed Jesus Christ in his ministry as he journeyed to and fro. And her name was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene at one time had been a prostitute. But she was overwhelmed by the love of God. And in that experience with Jesus Christ and that understanding of His forgiveness, Mary Magdalene became a woman who came to Him one day and with the best that she had, she anointed His feet, washed Him with her tears, dried Him with her hair. Changed woman. 
certainly a guy by the name of Legion, you might remember him in Mark chapter 5. How that he was out in the country, just out of his mind, possessed and controlled by demons, running around scaring everybody in the whole countryside. And all of a sudden, one day, Jesus landed on his shore. He came and he confronted Legion and healed him and cast out those demons. The Bible says Legion sat down, I'm sure, for the first time in a long time, in a sense of peace. And after that encounter, Lord Jesus Christ sent him home to be a witness to his family and his friends. You see, all those are testimonies of changed lives. I could ask each of you here this morning, tell me how Jesus has changed your life. And every one of us would have probably an account or we, we would have an understanding or we would have a reassurance about how Jesus has affected us. How He's changed our lives. Why? All because we chose to follow Him. To believe in Him as our, our personal Lord and Savior and commit our lives to Him. Following Jesus affects our lives in a dramatic way. You see, following Jesus provides us, or let me just speak for me, following Jesus in my life has provided me with a sense of safety that I never had before. And that sense of when everything's all said and done and when everything happens that's going to happen in this life, that, that I have a place in heaven with Him that I can hold on with absolute certainty that promise that the Apostle Paul gives to us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now listen, I can look at the circumstances of my life in any given period of my life and I've always been able, since I've known Jesus Christ as my Savior, to be able to hold on with safety those truths and those assurances. The book of Hebrews says that our, our faith in Jesus Christ is like an anchor to our soul. We know what anchors are for. They're to hold us steady when things are going up and down. The times that we're in as a nation, we need an anchor. And that anchor, and the only one strong enough to be that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And until our nation wakes up to that truth, then we're always going to be in turmoil conflict and so Jesus Christ in our lives as we begin to pursue him and follow him gives us this great sense of safety safety in eternal life safety in our salvation in the resurrection which is our hope following Jesus Christ has given me in my life a sense of not only safety, but it produces a sense of satisfaction. In other words, a peace. This is a courage that I didn't have before I knew Jesus Christ. A, a sense of confidence, of, of, of things being right. That was one of the most overwhelming things that gripped my life when I came to know Jesus Christ at the age of 30 was that all of a sudden things seemed to be set right in my life. What didn't fit or what didn't feel right all of a sudden became comfortable. That sense of, of confidence that God was in control and that He was going to take care of everything.
that sense of contentment that I'd never had before. Always striving, always desiring, always wanting, always hungering. But all of a sudden now, I, I found a, a contentment. Now, am I always content? No. As a matter of fact, I think there's a part of us that should never be content. We ought to have a, a, certainly a godly dissatisfaction with where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember I said godly dissatisfaction because we always ought to want more, be growing. And maybe that could be a godly discontent in our life with things the way they are. I want to see change. But there's that sense of satisfaction. And another thing that I noticed is that in Christ Jesus, that that relationship promotes a sense of significance. That because He deems me important and valuable, that I am that. That I have a call of God just like every other believer in my life to engage in the kingdom work that has eternal value and consequences. I want you to think about that for a minute. That God lets us do things in His kingdom that forever makes a difference in people's lives. That God gives us the opportunity that in serving Him and serving others, that we have this way or this place of making a difference, contributing to those around us in the most important way of all. And that's in relationship to Jesus Christ. And so following Jesus Christ is a blessing. Listen to what Peter says about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to begin in verse 13 and read through verse 17. It says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who ask you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Bow with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful today your amazing love and grace. Father, we are so thankful today that we have the privilege of being called children of God as we turn and put our faith and confidence in You. Lord, it's my prayer this morning as we look into Your Word that we would see that grace afresh and anew. Lord, I pray that You'll take these words of Scripture should convict our hearts, challenge our thoughts toward You, help us to see that they're sincere. And Father, I just pray that You'll do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as Peter begins to write this particular passage of Scripture and he reminds us of the blessing that it is to be following the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he reminds us of a couple of things and that we're better for in the sense. And one of those things that he brings out or that he uncovers is that we're better off following Jesus Christ because following Jesus Christ builds character in our lives.
In other words, that pursuit of Him, uh, that desire to want to know Him more, God begins to work in us uh, these qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look, our Vacation Bible School Scripture uh, this week, had yesterday, uh, was a great promise from God's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul's promising through Scripture is, is that when God starts on us, he'll finish with us. That God has never started anything that he's determined to do that he has not or in the future will not finish. So you and I have the promise of a God who's incapable of lying or dishonoring himself. We've got that promise from him that what he begins, he'll finish. And God's desire for you and I, Scripture says, is that we be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if that's the case, then we can be fully assured that our God is going to work in us these things that are going to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter's reminding, reminding us of, that as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the things that happens is that Jesus Christ is building his character in our lives. So listen to me. Look at verse 13. Because in this, that seeking what is good builds character in us. He says in verse 13, he says, And who is he who will harm you uh, if you become followers of what is good? So Peter encourages us, listen, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't be intimidated by anyone if you're pursuing what's good. Because if you're seeking what's good, then that's going to be a way that God is going to build character in you. If you're thinking about longing for those things that are Christ-like, then that's exactly what God's desiring for you to do. You know, good in our culture, in our time today, or the world that we live in today, seems to be a moving target, doesn't it? I mean, what was good yesterday may not be good tomorrow. Or what certainly was good maybe 10 years ago uh, that we can see in, in, our, in our culture or people's thinkings today that that's not good anymore. That's not valuable anymore. But let me tell you, with God, things are eternal. And with His truth, what we have to realize that it's never changing. So what God determines good is going to always be good. What's good now with God is going to always be good. And what is good, we need to follow. You know, the Gospel of Luke records an encounter that Jesus had with a young man in Luke 18. Begins at verse 18 and after. And that young man came to Jesus and they had a conversation together. And that conversation, the idea of good came up, the subject did. And so the young man asked him, he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you'd think, well, you know, maybe Jesus' response is, well, this is going or that. But what Jesus did, he helped him to understand what good was. And so Jesus asked him the question, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that's God. You see, Jesus called him to define his standard for good. Jesus, in a sense, pointed to himself. You call me good? You send me those good things? Well, Jesus could have said, you're right because I am God, but he didn't say that. He says there's only one that's good, and that's God. So now all of a sudden, as believers, we have the standard for goodness. Amen? 
I mean, it's not what the world says about goodness or how the world defines it or how it moves around fluidly in our culture today. But we have one standard for goodness, and that one standard for goodness is God. And so if that defines character or the pursuit of goodness, then certainly the thing that follows is that we should be pursuing our good God and those things of Him. And so he reminded him of that very thing. So God is good, and someone who follows good follows God. Stands to reason, doesn't it? So you see how Jesus... And seeking Jesus builds character because we're being changed like the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Peter reminds us that to build character, we have to seek after what's good. Now another thing that he says is not only uh, does seeking after good build character, but he also goes on in verse 14 and he says, Suffering for righteousness' sake. Builds character. Now, you know, we think about that and you want to scratch your head and you say, what, Brother Mike, you talking about suffering? That's not very comfortable for me to think about suffering and neither, by the way, is it for me as well. Uh, But that's what the Scripture says. Verse 14 says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. So, Peter talks about here about suffering for righteousness sake. You see, persecution always follows after believers who are living for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are, are pursuing good. If you're pursuing good, if you're pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not nine times out of ten, but it's 100% you're going to receive opposition. It'll be spiritually, it'll be physically. It'll be relationally, uh, it may be physically, but you're going to find uh, opposition to you pursuing the goodness of God in your life. It just happens that way, suffering, but does some good things in our life. That's why Peter calls it blessed. Listen to what suffering, a couple of things that happens when we suffer for righteousness sake. Now remember when I, listen, let me just qualify that suffering for righteousness sake is the times that we suffer because we're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ because we're faithful to him in 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 our decisions in our beliefs in our convictions in our values it's when we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ it's when we raise our families in the nurture and admonition of the Lord It's when we go out on our job and when we bear testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we step out in the world and we exhibit the character and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Listen, in this world today, that's going to be opposed. So, so, but Peter says, listen, when that happens, it's, it's a good thing. Why is it good? Let me give you some reasons. Because first of all, suffering produces good things in our life. One of the good things that suffering produces in our life that's good, if you go back to the first chapter of Peter, we've already looked at it, but verses 6 and 7, what does Peter say? He says, suffering produces a genuine faith. A genuine faith. You see, until our faith is really put to the test, how do we know that it's genuine? I mean, until we put it out there, And until we begin to test it, 
How do we know it's real? Intellectually, we may believe with, with, with all of our minds everything that we know about Jesus Christ to be true. And, and even in our thoughts, everything about our, our thoughts may want to follow that truth and be, be consistent to that truth and live it out. But yet when, when we step out into the world, old saying is when the rubber meets the road, is our faith really genuine? When it's pushed back on, when it's tested, when, you, when it costs you something, to believe what you believe and to live based on those beliefs. And so Peter says when that persecution comes, you know what? It helps identify whether our faith is genuine and it helps strengthen that genuine faith. James said it in a different way in James chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and he talks about a mature faith is that those trials come in various forms in many different ways but yet they work to perfect us and to grow us in our faith. So when these testings and trials come along, they accomplish some good things in our life. They give us the assurance that, hey, our faith is real. And our faith is good. And we can grow in that faith to a more stronger adult faith. So we need persecution. Let me say that again because some of you look at me like I don't believe what you said. <laughs> the church needs persecution. You say, should that be on my prayer list? We need to be tested in our faith. Certainly these times are working in that direction because suffering produces good things. Something else that suffering does is that suffering proves good things. It proves to us the things that are good. When you begin to think about suffering and about resistance and opposition, one of the things that I'm always assured of is that in my suffering I have a companion. He's the Lord Jesus Christ and He is powerful. So in suffering I see the power of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, you remember when he was struggling and praying and asking God to heal and take this thorn from my flesh in chapter 12 and, and, and he was praying and pouring his heart out to God and, and, and Jesus gave him his answer, didn't he? No, he didn't take that thorn away. He said, for my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus said to Paul, Paul, you need this. <clears throat> you need this thorn. <clears throat> Paul said, I, I would rather glory in his power. <laughs> Paul came into agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ's answer to his prayer. And he said, I need this in my life so that I can know the power of God. You see, our tribulation, our persecution proves the power of God. It proves the presence of God in our life, that He's there. We could not endure without Him being there. It proves also that God keeps His promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. Other things. You see, the suffering uh, that we do for righteousness' sake builds character in us. 
Last night, Jackie and I watched a movie and a pastor friend of mine gave me the DVD and said, I want you to watch this. I want you to tell me what you think about it. And the title of it is The Insanity of God. And that turned me off to begin with. I said, God's not insane. We are. But God is not. And then all of a sudden, as I begin to watch it, maybe some of you have seen it, uh, that I understood what the idea was behind it. And he asked me, he said, I want you to know what you think about it. And after I watched about it, I, I thought, here's what I thought about it. Shameful. Shameful. Shameful on me. And my lack of intensity and passion and willingness to give everything that I am to God. Why? Because it was all a series of compilations of interviews that this man had done over many years of Christians that live in places on this earth where it costs their lives for them to live there and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the places that he went into was just weeks before uh, the uprising in Somalia in the 90s. And he interviewed believers there and told a story about having communion with four believers and how wonderful it was that they could do that. And then two weeks later, all four of those were killed, as were most of the Christians in Somalia. He went on to another place in the early 90s, the Soviet Union. And he traveled hundreds of miles interviewing Christians. Pastors who'd spent as many as 30 years in prison on a daily basis being brutalized, humiliated, and beaten, tortured. One pastor so much so that he broke until... The next day, he was willing to do whatever they were wanting him to do. But yet that night, God came and strengthened him. And the next day, he said, I'll never do that. And I thought to myself, what has God asked me to do that threatens my life in that way? Because... Throughout the story, all these interviews and things that went on, he needed an answer for himself. Because, see, he and his wife had been on the mission field in some horrendous circumstances, and they, their oldest son had died because of the conditions they were living in. So in the back of his mind, as he interviewed all these people for a series of a few years, he had this nagging question. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Isn't that something we all really have to answer? Is Jesus worth my commitment? Is He worth my sacrifice? Is He worth my life? To be faithful and to be obedient to Him. You see, that's something we all have to answer individually and personally. Because suffering for righteousness' sake builds our character. But then also look at verse 15. Because Peter gives us another thought. Surrendering to Christ builds our character as well. He says in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts 
And always be ready to give a defense or to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, it's that idea of surrender. Peter calls us not to surrender to this world or this culture or to people or anyone else, but he says surrender to the Lord. He says, but sanctify. You see, the word sanctify means to set apart the Lord God in our hearts. The, the idea here is to give Him the throne. To lift Him up. To allow Jesus Christ to be the most important thing in our life. Christ should be in a place in our life where He has no equal or no rival. That there's no one that comes close to our love and our devotion and our passion that we have him no other earthly relationship no other material relationship only Jesus he sets apart from everything else should in our life as we do that we surrender to him we surrender our life to him he says but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts you see our heart according to the Bible is really the source of who we are in the heart the Bible the heart is the place where we reason things out. <laughs> it's where we put all that information, we take all of our values and all of our beliefs and we wrestle them all together with a set of circumstances we're in and we reason things out. You see, that should be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. The heart's the place of our emotion. I mean, it's that source of, of, of what, we, what we get all emotional about, whether it's love or loyalty or faithfulness or excitement, enthusiasm. You realize that the very root word for God is the root word for enthusiasm, theos. Are you excited about the Lord Jesus Christ? We surrender our heart to Him and see Him work in our lives. It causes that spontaneous excitement. Enjoy for living for Him. So it's surrendering to the Lord Jesus our, our, our life and, and our loyalty to be ready to give a defense. To be ready, Peter says, to take a stand for Him. When we're surrendered to Him, He's Lord of our life. When, when our heart and our loyalty and devotion is to Him, we'll take a stand for Him. And it'll be second nature. That's what he's calling us to do today. Surrender to him. Because what it does, it builds character. You see, God is earnestly desiring to build character in our life. Christian character. Now, I know some of you, some of you guys are characters. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about God building his life, his character in you. Now, here he gives us one other thing. And I want to go very quickly about following Jesus. Not only does following Jesus build character in our lives, but following Jesus affects our conscience. Um, you say, well, why is that so important? It's real important. You see, the conscience is the part of us that distinguishes how we choose from right and wrong. Right? I mean, it's that place in us that we choose right and wrong conduct. Uh, it's, it's, what, it's what distinguishes us from all the rest of creation. It's when the Bible says that God created us in His own image, He created us with a conscience. 
He created us in that consciousness with the capacity to, to know Him. Now, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We need to be alive spiritually. But, but He's given us a, a conscience in, in that sense. And, and, we, and the Bible determines, really, our conscience can be in three conditions. <laughs> and, and one of them's terrible, and one of them's not so good, and the other one's good. <laughs> but, but, but let me just, just for a second, uh, if you look at verse 17, listen to what He says. In verse 17, he says, For it's better um, if uh, it's the will of God for you to suffer for doing good. But back in verse 16, he says, Having a good conscience, and that when you def- they defame you as evildoers, uh, those who revile your good conduct in Christ will be ashamed. So what he's saying, that those who will revile you for doing evil, uh, that are going to be really uh, rebuked by your very actions uh, because of your good conscience. Now, uh, the Bible talks about conscience uh, to to some extent. And one of those is that some people have an evil conscience. And because they do, guess what? Remember that place of decisions. Uh, If you have an evil conscience, guess what? Your decisions generally reflect a a sense of evil, right? Uh, An evil conscience is one that's that's been defiled. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's been been dirtied uh, by sin. Now listen, all of us have been defiled by sin, right? We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. Uh, we all need Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, so that He can restore life in us, because sin causes death. And so I'm, I'm talking about that, but in a sense that. That that evil conscience uh, has gotten so hard. Uh, some reference in the scripture called it calls it a seared conscience. Have you ever burned yourself? You know, maybe pretty badly, and after weeks of healing, it gets better, but it really doesn't get better because there's a hard spot there. Have you ever cut yourself and and, and wound up with a with, with a hard kind of part? To Jackie has a weather finger. And she she cut her finger some years ago, and so when the weather's changing, she can feel a little difference in that finger. So if you see her doing like this, she's really just trying to predict. No, uh, so but it's a result of of a hardening of because of that wound. You see, we've all been wounded by sin. We've been grievously killed by sin, and 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 we have a hardness, and, and so that evil conscience, that hardness has been fed. And it becomes even more hard and hard-hearted. And so we have to be careful not to have that kind of hardening of our conscience. Uh, that, that evilness. And so he talks about that very thing. That repeated sinfulness in someone's life causes them to get so callous towards sin that they're not even aware of what's going on. Now listen, that's the unbeliever, Okay. But then there's another condition of our conscience. And that's a, a weak conscience. Now Paul talks about that in a couple of places. And, and the weak conscience is someone with a weak conscience is someone who's just immature in their faith. They believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They're born again. They're starting out on this great pursuit of God. But yet they're just, as the Bible describes them, still babes in Christ. And that's important for us to know because for someone with a weak conscience, if I have one then here's what I'll do. I'll make childish decisions. I mean, 
That's the nature of immature faith is that we make immature decisions. Now, it's important that mature believers consider very carefully how we treat someone who might be more immature in their faith than you are. Because Paul warns about that. As a matter of fact, those who are mature in their faith ought to defer to those who are weak in their faith. As much as we can biblically try to show them compassion and love and help them grow in that faith. But then Peter talks about, again in verse 16, that good conscience. You see, that good conscience leads to good conduct. That leads to good decisions. That makes a life of a good testimony. And he says in verse 16, that good testimony, when it's put under the spotlight of persecution, will shine for the glory of God. And it'll be so bright that those who are making those accusations, who are the source of that persecution, will come to a place where they'll be embarrassed by what they're doing to you. In the movie I was telling you about in a couple of places, there was a time when those persecutors were so severe on the believers and the believers' response were so graciously loving toward the persecutor that those persecutors became fearful and, and embarrassed and shrunk back from tormenting those believers. I think that's what Peter's talking about here. If we let our light shine, that that light will overcome the darkness. And that our love for Jesus Christ will overcome the evil in the world today. Bow with me if you would and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful today for the blessed joy of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess our love for you today. And Father, we thank you that even in those times of opposition and struggle that we find even the best of things. Father, we're better and we're better off when we're following You. Lord, convict our hearts today in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we might follow You. Not second-guessing, not in fear, but in faith. We ask You in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning to stand together if you would as we sing a a verse or so of invitation this morning. I tell you, I want to give a confession today that God is good. Amen? That He's worthy for you and I to follow. To set our, our, our strength and our energy, our, our minds and our thoughts on Him and to go after Him with, with everything that we have. I tell you, it's an amazing life. 
when the power of God begins to work in us because we're pursuing Him. We have a unique opportunity today in times that we live in. I think God's given it to us as, as sometimes we see it as a burden, but it's a blessing. We're going to sing a verse of this invitation. You may be here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He came to this earth and He died for us so that we could get to know Him. So that we could know the grace of His forgiveness. Uh, the powerful change that He does in all of our lives. He will not leave you alone if you belong to Him. So this morning you may want to come just trust Him. Pray and receive Him into your life. Believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. Repent. Turn trust Him. Maybe at other decisions, you may just want simply an expression of your faith to come and say, Jesus, I want to be blessed by following You. Lord, I want the courage to choose You above everything else. My, my relationships, my resources, whatever it is, Lord, give me the courage to choose You above everything else. Maybe your decision today. We're going to sing and just to, as the Spirit of God leads you. Maybe it's to come, maybe just right where you're at to make a commitment to Him today. You can do that.